This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hi there, Dr. Jen Lincoln here. I can't come to the phone right now, but we'll likely have an opening later on. Please leave me a message and I'll be at your cervix. I mean, <laughs> service in no time. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Let's Talk About Down There podcast. I'm your host, board certified OBGYN, Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. And this week's episode is about what I think about home birth. And it was this quick slipped in question from a caller who had had other questions about VBACs. And then threw this one in at the end, which I thought was kind of hilarious because it was this quick, almost an afterthought. And it's a really important question. So let's have a listen. Hi, this is Anessa. What do you think about at-home birth? Thanks. All right. This is a question I think is really, really highly charged, especially when it comes to talking to OBGYNs. I have seen some people get into this topic and be really upset about it, especially as obstetricians and gynecologists, very much anti-home birth. How could you even you're setting yourself up for horrible risks and horrible outcomes. Like, how dare you even ask my opinion on this question? The answer is I do not recommend them. Do not pass go. No exceptions. I have nothing further to say on the matter, your honor. And I can tell you what I think about this. And I want you to know that it's just that. It's my opinion. It's not going to be what everyone says. And not everyone is going to agree with me. And I will give you my opinion, but I will clarify that I definitely had one clear answer. If somebody had asked me this when I was in residency training, I would have absolutely said one thing. And I actually now have a very different answer. So without further ado, uh, I feel like I'm building this up like this is some ridiculous thing. But if you're in my field, I think you get it. (laughs) So in residency, and that's, you know, the four years of training that you do after medical school, and that training length varies depending on your field. And in my field, it's four years. I would have told you 100% do not have a home birth. I absolutely disagree with it. I would try and say, here's why I don't think you should do it. And if you chose to have a home birth, you're setting yourself up for all these things, like do not do it. And that opinion was based in what I saw and what I dealt with. Obviously, I had a bias because of what I saw. And truly, it was because as a resident working in a setting where we got a lot of transfers, either from outside hospitals or, yes, from birth centers and home births, we saw a lot of bad stuff. And it's because we were the kind of system where we saw the worst of worst. We were the highest acuity center. And I remember seeing things, and I'm obviously not going to go into detail because of HIPAA, which is basically privacy, but I can tell you, I saw some terrible things. I saw babies not make it. I saw birthing people almost not make it. I remember people being wheeled by and being able to hear them bleeding. And we call that audible bleeding. And that means that they were bleeding so much it was hitting the ground. And I saw really bad outcomes from people who had had attempts at home births or had delivered at home and then came in with extreme complications. And so in my mind, home birth equaled really bad, equaled don't you dare ever do it. Right. And then I finished my training. And remember, when you are in training, when you're learning anything for the first time, 
you want to know the one way to do something, right? Like you want to be told this is the way that you operate, or this is the way you build a house, or this is the way you cut hair. And it's not until you're really comfortable and confident in your own skills that you can see, you know, you can do things differently, or at least you feel like that's normal. And, and, you know, things don't always have to be super straightforward in one way. At least that's, that's how I, you know, felt about it. And my opinion now is very different when it comes to home births. So I want to talk about that. So answering that question here now today, my answer is, I want you to give birth where and how you want. You obviously, if you know me, if you follow me on my other channels and have listened to my podcast before, you know that I'm a huge believer in bodily autonomy. And the phrase, my body, my choice, isn't just something I say about abortion, right? It also has to deal with how you give birth and where you give birth and with whom you give birth. So I think that's important. So I truly, my thoughts on home birth are, I have thoughts about it. And my thoughts are also kind of irrelevant, just like when it comes to abortion and using birth control and blah, blah, blah. It's really, I can have my opinions, but I support you because I support your choice. I also recognize that being in the hospital can be very traumatic. It can be hard for somebody to be in the hospital for any reason, let alone giving birth. And I also realize that being in the hospital can cause harm. Hospitals are places where lives are saved. Hospitals are not places that are free from causing harm in and of themselves and also costing people their lives. And I also am very, very aware that our hospitals and our entire healthcare system is not one size fits all and is not equally good or equally helpful to everybody, meaning that there are obvious disparities based on the color of your skin, where you grow up, your zip code, your level of education, the language you speak, the country of origin, how much you weigh, right? So many reasons that people receive different levels of healthcare. I'm hoping that I am not part of that problem. I'm also not stupid enough to think that, given who I am in my position, that somehow I haven't played a role in that. So what I want to say is I understand why people might want to avoid the hospital. I also recognize on a different side of that coin that birthing at home can also be traumatic and cause harm. And stay tuned to my classes and session where I share tips on how to try and avoid this if this is what you choose. But understand that not everybody who has what we call a home birth or an out-of-hospital birth, that was even their plan. And for them, that can be really scary and traumatic. Or maybe they had a home birth because they actually didn't really want that, but they felt it was the best choice for them, whether it's financially because the hospitals were so damn expensive and they didn't have insurance or because they were so scared of how they'd be treated. So this was their choice, but it wasn't one that they would have made if the situation had been ideal. So I hold that understanding that sometimes it's not always a clear choice. The other thing I really want to talk about too is that our maternity care system in the United States, I acknowledge that it is not set up like it is in other countries where out-of-hospital births are safer and more successful. So what I mean by that is in places like the UK, where out-of-hospital birth is much more common, and if somebody needs to transfer into a hospital, the way that it's done is much easier, meaning that there are these established relationships between midwives who deliver at home and midwives and, and doctors who deliver in the hospital and how to get patients from point A to point B. And it's just very different, especially when everyone has health insurance. And so you take that even out of the equation of the reason people might not choose to birth in a hospital is because they're scared of the bill. So it is integrated in such a different way. And thus, 
out of hospital birth can be a lot safer because of this. And I acknowledge that that's not necessarily the case here. So what I'm saying is that whatever you choose should be a true choice, meaning you shouldn't have to pick a home birth because you're afraid of the doctors at the hospital and how they treat you, or that you're afraid of the cost, or that you were told that you can't VBAC. And so you said, oh, you're going to say I have to have a repeat C-section? Well, if you're telling me that, then I'm just going to deliver at home. P.S. I have a separate podcast episode on VBACs, which is vaginal birth after cesarean. Go ahead and have a listen to that if you're interested. You also shouldn't have to choose a home birth because your closest hospital that actually has a labor and delivery open is 100 miles away. Fun fact, there's this thing called maternity care deserts, which doesn't mean it's an actual desert. What it means is that these are counties where there are no hospitals that have a labor and delivery opened that can provide postpartum care, labor and delivery services, or they're not staffed adequately. Did you know that 36% of counties in the United States are classified as maternity care deserts? One third. That's insane. That means that people who are pregnant and need to give birth in these maternity care deserts have to travel really far. And if they need specialist care or have complications, they may have to travel even further to the kind of places that have that care available. So these people are already having choice taken away from them and that where they live, their communities that they live, don't offer the basic thing, which is safe support, access to good care while pregnant. So if somebody is pushed into having to deliver at home because they just know they're not going to make it to a hospital in time or they can't afford the gas to get somewhere for all their visits and their deliveries, then that's not a true choice. Now you might say, cool, Jen, those are all your opinion, but let's talk about data. And as somebody who thinks with a scientist's mind, and I think about risks and benefits in terms of data and statistics, let's talk about that because I do want to talk about the data that may influence the choice you make. And I want to say that sometimes data can be misinterpreted. And I can say that even as somebody who myself has, I think, <laughs> misinterpreted this data before. So let's talk about home birth, what it even means in the United States. The fact of the matter is it's still pretty uncommon in the United States, though it did increase after the pandemic for reasons that people were afraid to go into the hospital. And I can completely understand that. So there was actually a 12% increase in home births from 2020 to 2021. And that actually followed a 22% increase from 2019 to 2020. So it's becoming more common. And it peaked in January of 2021 with a home birth rate of 1.51%. So we are still saying that the vast majority, over 98% of births occurred in the hospital setting in the United States. So we're still talking about a very tiny fraction. And in actual numbers, there were 51,642 home births in 2021, which was an increase of 13% from 2020, which was about 45,646 home births. So becoming more popular but still a very tiny fraction. So I think that just helps to norm kind of where we're at. Um, and in one particular graph that I looked at, and I'll include all this in my references because I think it's important if you want to look at it. Most recently that we have data for was in Idaho with 3.2%. So the, the rates vary based on where you are in state, in which state you live in, but Idaho had the most home births. I'm not sure for some reason this list includes Idaho as the most. What I've read in other sources is that Alaska has the highest number of home births, for some reason not in this particular data set. So I'm not sure if they just were only including continental U.S. or if Alaska went down further. I wasn't able to access that, but interesting fun fact there. And it's important to note that not everybody who has a birth at home plans it. One in four home births are unplanned. And those are folks who 
wanted to deliver at the hospital, but couldn't get there in time, whether their labors went too quickly or they didn't have the transportation to do so. We do know from the data that the most risk when it comes to home birth fall into two categories. Number one, they didn't plan to. And that makes sense, right? If you didn't plan for it, how the heck are you going to know how to plan to do it safely? Or number two, they were unattended, meaning that there was nobody who had training to help with that birth. This could be from two separate categories. Either they're in that first category where it wasn't planned and they had nobody there to help out. Or number two, they had planned to deliver at home and they planned to have an unattended or what we call unassisted home birth, meaning that they plan to do it all by themselves. We know that those are the folks who have the highest risk when it comes to maternal outcomes and also outcomes for baby. There are some benefits to having a home birth. And I can say that 100%. I can acknowledge that. The data shows it. There are fewer maternal interventions. So that means things like pitocin, epidurals, vacuum or forceps, IV usage. And that all makes sense, right? Some of these things just can't be done at home. Some of these things could be, but they're done less often because either they're not needed or they're felt that they're not needed or the practitioners who are assisting with these births either don't perform these or they don't think they're necessary. There are also fewer infections from people who deliver at home and less tearing. And maybe I should do a whole episode on just what that means, you know, the different kinds of tears that you can have during birth, or maybe that's part of an episode, but there's different kinds of vaginal tearing. And we know that when it comes to the more severe kind, there are less of those when it comes to home births. So that's cool. And I totally acknowledge that. There are also more risks. And I want you to hear this because I think it's very important how we discuss these risks. What would you say if I told you that if you deliver at home, you have a two times increased risk of perinatal death and your baby has a three times increased risk of having seizures or serious neurologic problems. That sounds really scary, right? But that's not the whole story. And this is why whenever people talk about a doubling of a risk or even a 10 times risk or something like that, and I've seen this, especially when it comes to COVID and vaccines and so many things in that realm, the denominator matters. And that sounds really nerdy, but it really is important. So I could tell you that there's a doubling of a risk that your, your baby is going to die if born at home. That risk is still less than 1%. So that risk is one to two per 1,000 births. So is it increased? Absolutely. Is it a huge increase? Absolutely not. When it comes to that three times risk of seizures for your baby or serious neurologic problems, three times, like tripling, sounds insane, right? But it's actually still really low. It's 0.4 to 0.6 out of 1,000. So meaning that it'll happen way less than 1%. So when I was a resident, I heard two times, I heard three times, I heard, oh my gosh, unacceptable. Sounded crazy. And it's not that I didn't understand the numbers. I did. It just still seems so scary. As I have gained more experience, which means as I've gotten older, yes, I'm getting older, I think about this in a broader view. I think about how we do other things where the risk is 1% or 2%, and we categorize that as a very low risk, right? We have to keep in mind how we categorize risk. We can't just preferentially say something is really bad or really good based on how we feel about it, meaning it's just not okay for me to spin this as a doubling or a tripling of a risk because it sounds crazy to me. I will tell you, I have had these discussions with people and let's say patient A hears that and goes, that is unacceptable to me. I will not take that risk. I'm going to deliver in a hospital. And there's somebody else who says, I am okay with that risk because it's still so tiny and I have other concerns. So I am okay with that. And I am going to birth at home. And you know what I think about that? 
good for you. You get to decide which risk is too much or too little for you. We as human beings, we all have different risk tolerances for everything that we do in life. And this is one of those. And it is my job to support you and what your risk tolerance is. We have other data on risks as well. So we know that for people who've had a prior cesarean section and who want to deliver vaginally at home, this is what we call a TOLAC, T-O-L-A-C, which stands for trial of labor after cesarean. We do know that for those people who plan to do that at home, that there was an associated risk of their baby dying in labor of 2.9 out of 1,000 deliveries, which is higher than a similar thing, baby dying in labor in a TOLAC, of 0.13 per 1,000 for people who plan to deliver in the hospital. This personally to me, again, if this was me, that feels like a lot. I would not choose a home birth for somebody else. They would say, you know what, going from 0.13 to almost three out of a thousand is still really, really, really tiny. And I'd rather have my birth at home. Again, we have our counseling, we share the data, we make shared decisions, we respect autonomy. You might wonder, Dr. Jen, like, like what about like good studies? Like, do we have really good studies that compare these and we can make a really, in, you know, informed choice because we've, you know, studied thousands and thousands and thousands of people? We don't. We don't have large studies available because that means that the best kind of study, which would be a randomized trial, which means that you have a thousand pregnant people and you assign them, you say, you 500 will deliver at home, you 500 will deliver in the hospital. As you can imagine, people who are pregnant don't necessarily want to be told where to birth. I myself would not <laughs> sign up for this and be like, oh, you're telling me I have to give birth at home when I totally don't want to. No, thank you. So the data that we have are really lesser quality and they have their own limits, right? They're smaller studies. They vary a lot in methods and skill level, who's attending these births, what's the risk profile of the people who delivered at home. So the best thing we can do is kind of look retrospectively and make the best decisions that we can based on this data, but we know it's not perfect. So what we do know is we know that planned home birth with skilled attendants, and when I say a skilled attendant, it means a midwife or a doctor who has training. And I'm not talking about has done one or two births before. We're talking about really good training um, and is an integrated system, meaning that if there is an issue, that there is a clear plan and an easy path from home to hospital with easy to transfer to care is much better and likely has the least risk associated with it. But we also know that that is not the current reality we have in the United States. And before I move on from this, I do want to discuss a bit more midwifery care in the United States. And I want to say that, unfortunately, it's a bit complicated. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of different terminology for midwives out there. There are certified nurse midwives. There are certified midwives. There are certified professional midwives. There are direct entry midwives. There are community midwives. There's lots of different terminology, and it can mean different things. And what's even more confusing is that it can mean different things in different states because different states have laws on who can attend births and what that training and, and what that title means, meaning that it could mean one thing in one state. You know, it might mean X number of hours and X number of deliveries and X number of certifications in one state and in another state, it's completely different. So it's comparing apples to oranges. That really frustrates me because when I try to counsel people on uh, and what you should seek out. You can, it, it's not like you can just look up a board certification of a physician, for example, and know that every OBGYN across the nation, if they're board certified, it means one thing. So when we say that a skilled attendant, a skilled midwife, the one that we do have national agreement on what that means is a CNM or a certified nurse midwife. These are midwives who are also nurses who have gone through 
standardized training and certification. And in hospitals, those are the kinds of midwives we have who work with us. And I love my certified nurse midwives. I believe they are the experts in normal physiologic birth. And I think that they should be doing all the normal births. And we should be left to be doing the births that are complicated or as a consultant model. And don't get me wrong, I love doing just regular births. They happen so infrequently with the position I currently have because of the way it's structured and it's appropriate. But when they do happen, they're just so fun and I love them. But I also realize that's not the peak of my training. That's not the most appropriate usage of my expertise. That's where certified nurse midwives belong. So in the home setting, when I counsel people, I would say in a perfect world, you would have a CNM, a certified nurse midwife, or an OBGYN who, you know, it works in an integrated system where they can do home and hospital births. Um, I know that's not the reality for a lot of people and that there are midwives who fall out of this scope and don't have that certification and have done hundreds and hundreds of birth and have a great background. So what I would say is understanding that it's not super straightforward when it comes to comparing midwives across state lines with what they have. Um, I understand that it can be confusing, but we'll talk more about that in just a sec. Let's also talk about a third option, which, you know, so far I've talked about home births and I've talked about hospital births. A third option is something called a birth center birth. And a birth center is a center where births happen right now. That's a (laughs) a very simplistic definition. But what that means is that you give birth in a place where there, you know, it's not your home, but it's another place that is sort of as an intermediary between a hospital. And here in Oregon, we have independent birth centers that work independently. They are not associated with a hospital, but there are also places that have birth centers either adjacent to or literally embedded within a hospital, meaning that you can come to a hospital, but you're actually birthing within the birth center. And the benefit of this is that you have access to the doctors and the operating rooms and all those emergency things if you need, but you're nested within this birth center in the hospital so that you're having your midwife attended birth. So if you're considering a home birth, but not feeling totally on board with the idea of birthing in your house for various reasons. I always joke with people, the number one reason I loved birthing in the hospital was because I didn't have to clean anything up. Obviously, that's a tiny, tiny thing. But if you want to have that home birth experience, but you don't want it in your house, either you just don't want to or you can't, maybe it's your living situation where you live, then you know a birth center can be another intermediary. And what's nice about birth centers is they often have access to supplies and and things and, you know, the ability to transfer. And they've got that, those relationships often built up with their hospitals, maybe even a little tighter than if you were to have a home birth. So that's another thing to consider. But let's take a moment to head to school for this week's class is in session where we head up this week's teachable moment. Welcome to the health class. I really doubt you have in high school. So let's talk about if you plan to have a home birth your roadmap to doing it in the safest way possible. And I will tell you, not all OBGYNs are going to have this conversation with you because their answer is just don't do it. And if I tell you how to do it more safely, I'm complicit in it. And it means that I somehow agree with it and I'm not gonna talk about it. Yeah, I'm not that kind of person. So I'm gonna tell you how to do it more safely. Again, knowing that for me myself, I would never choose a home birth, but I respect your free choice to do that. So let's talk about how to do it more safely. Number one, make sure you're a good candidate for it. And I say all of these with, again, I support your choice to do it regardless, but if you want to do it the safest, here's how. And it starts out with making sure that you're the appropriate candidate for it. And I think it's important to partner with somebody who can help you objectively decide this. So there are things that make you higher risk that 
we necessarily wouldn't say you're the best candidate for having a home birth. And it might be that you've had C-sections before. You've got medical complications that make it a little a little iffy, and that could be things like poorly controlled diabetes, uncontrolled high blood pressure, bleeding disorders, other things that would somehow make your labor and birth high risk even in the hospital. It's even a higher risk if you're outside of the hospital. So that's an important thing to review with. And it doesn't mean that you have to be forced out of a home birth. Again, it's your choice, but it can be helpful to walk through this with somebody who's able to be objective and say, you know, even me, I'm a home birth midwife. I wouldn't recommend this for you. Number two, have a birth attendant who is well-trained and experienced. And as I've said, this can be difficult to suss out sometimes because midwife designations vary by state and laws vary by state too, meaning that some of this terminology isn't standardized and I've already kind of gone through that. But what you can do is you can ask your midwife and say, what is your designation? What does that mean? How many births have you done? What is your transfer rate? Who do you get in touch with if you have questions? How do you ensure that things are going well? Think of it like a meet and greet. A lot of people do meet and greets with their future pediatricians. And I think it's really important to do it with your obstetric provider too, whether you're birthing in the hospital or considering a home birth. So asking them, what are the things that you have in place? There are certain states where midwives can have access to medications that help stop bleeding, that we use in emergencies, even antibiotics. And there are other states where they're not allowed to. And I think it's really stupid because you're going to deliver at home anyway. Wouldn't it be nice to empower your birth attendants to be able to do it more safely? So asking them, do you have access to medications? And I'm talking about FDA approved medications versus do we have to rely on other things because you are not able to stock those or prescribe them? It'll help give you a feel for what kind of safety measures are in place. And this is data and numbers that your birth attendants should be able to readily give you. You can also ask them who else is with you? Um, do you have somebody else helping you? What happens if I need to transfer? How do you do this? And that leads to point number three, which is ensure that a transfer plan is in place. And here are some numbers I think that can be helpful. The average amount of people who need to be transferred to a hospital when they are having an out-of-hospital birth varies based on whether or not they've had a vaginal birth before. So for people who've given birth vaginally before, the need to transfer is about four to 9%. So like one in 10, one in 20. If you have not given birth vaginally before, that risk is significantly higher. Between 23 and 37% of people who are trying to birth outside of a hospital, if they haven't had babies before, they do transfer to a hospital. Let us also acknowledge that these numbers are not exact because of that reason I said before that our data is not great. And for some of these people who've transferred before, sometimes they transfer for a reason that they want an epidural and it's not that there was a medical complication. So I do want to make that clear too. And that's also a completely legitimate reason to needing to transfer. I just don't want to use these numbers. I want to present them to you not as a scare tactic, but just know that that number is a lot higher if you haven't birthed outside of a hospital before. So just good to know. So ensuring a transfer plan in place doesn't just mean, okay, if I need to go to the hospital, I'm going to pick that one. What I would want is I would want to know that you've got a hospital transfer plan in place. You know that your midwives have communicated with these hospital providers before, and it's a pretty seamless situation. You've also got the address of where you're at. You, you feel comfortable. You know who's going to make the call to either to drive you or to 911 to make sure that you get there. You've figured out things like that hospital takes your insurance, or if not, you're just going to deal with that later. But know that the financial piece of it, I've seen that delay transfer too for people. And it's led to poor outcomes because they've been so worried about the cost. They put off the transfer until hours later when they realized they had to. 
And now by the time they hit our doors, they're in a much more medically unstable place. So having those thoughts while you're not in the throes of labor, super important. And also when it comes to a transfer plan, you've had the conversation with your midwife of how are you going to ensure that the people who now are helping out with my birth know what they need to know. And that means how are you going to get records to them? I have unfortunately accepted transfers from home where no records have shown up, where the patient was dropped off at the door by the midwife and the midwife drove away and communication was cut off. I have also had the opposite where records were faxed over to me while the patient was in route and the midwife was able to talk to me. And by the time this person came, I already knew so much and I was ready to go and ready to jump in and we had things set up and ready to go. I've also worked in situations where midwives were allowed to stay in the hospital and be part of the team, which I think is awesome when it helps to transfer from that scary situation of feeling super comfy at home to now you're in this new hospital, you don't know anybody, you're in active labor and you're scared. And I love it when we're able to have midwives stay with us. Not all hospitals allow that. And also when it came to the pandemic, that obviously made things a bit tricky. So it's important to know the hospital that you have chosen, if you need them, how do we make it such that it's a really integrated experience? And the last thing I can teach you in this class if you're planning to have a home birth, learn as much as you can about birth, about what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like, about afterwards, about what a transfer might look like. Be as informed as you can, because I say this with everything, being informed is being empowered. I know some people choose home births because they're scared of the process and they're scared of healthcare. And so they just say, I'm, I'm just gonna birth at home and I'll think about it when it happens. And that can be really scary, right? We don't show up to the Olympics without practicing for it. Just the same thing with your birth. Show up to your birth as informed and empowered as you can. All right, class dismissed. I want to tell you now about my own personal story that I think about often, because as much as I say, I support you in all your choices and it's your body, your choice and where you birth is your choice. I do want to make sure that you're informed and understand that a lot of times birth goes really well and like you could have done it at home. I say that a lot. But sometimes what happens in my world, in my obstetric world, is that the things that happen are unpredictable. So if you are choosing a home birth and you know that, this is just one more piece of that information puzzle that I want you to hear and to be informed about. And that is sometimes the things, even for the lowest risk person, things can go a little crazy and a little off the rails and you had no way to know. And if you choose a home birth, I just want you to know that if that happens, are you going to be okay with how you feel and process that afterwards? So I will share a personal story here about giving, you know, I've got two kids. And when I gave birth to my second child and I had both babies in a hospital, actually in the exact same room, which I thought was kind of cool. And with my second, I was, you know, young and super low risk and my pregnancy was going great. I would have been the perfect home birth candidate. That said, I did not choose that. And I went in and I had an awesome labor and an awesome birth. I was in the hospital for like, I think two or three hours before I gave birth to my second child, no epidural, things were going great. Everything was awesome. And then my placenta decided not to deliver. And I had no high risk situation that would have made me at risk for what we call a retained placenta. This was truly just one of those crappy things that happens. And I ended up having to go to the operating room to have my placenta removed. And I remember thinking that, you know, from the time it was diagnosed to the time I was in the OR and it was resolved, I mean, we're talking less than an hour. It means that I lost a lot less blood because of how close I was and the ability to get my care so quickly. And I was also separated from my baby for hardly any time because of that. I remember thinking, man, if I was at home, this would have been a whole 
other situation. It would have taken me a lot longer to get to the hospital, get an IV place, get to the OR, have what was needed done. We would have had to figure out like separate transportation for my baby. And um, I would have lost more blood and I could have potentially been in a worse spot. Um, and I share this story not as a way to scare people, but just as an example of things that can happen aren't always predicted by, oh, well, if we'd known about your risk of this, this, and that, you shouldn't have picked a home birth. Sometimes things just happen. And as an obstetrician managing things acutely in the hospital, I see those things that happen more frequently because of where I do do my work. So that's just my personal story. And I share that, again, not to scare people, but sometimes just understanding to think that as part of your decision-making process. How would I feel if something happened? And, you know, I could have known that had I transferred, it wouldn't have happened. And I also say this as an OBGYN who has inherited these patients who I have seen, what that has done to them afterwards, where they have said, I had no idea. Or I, I just, I thought everything was fine. And then this happened. And had I known this could have happened, I never would have chosen a home birth. And I don't know how I'm going to mentally process this afterwards. I just think all of these thoughts are important things to take into account. And you decide what matters most to you. And also, it's okay for us to change our minds. It's okay if you thought you were always going to have a home birth and you hear this and you change your mind. Or it's okay for somebody like me who always counseled people, please don't have a home birth. And then you do change your mind because you're like, yeah, actually, I could see why people would choose it. It is absolutely okay. And at the end of the day, it is all about being informed and making the decision that's best for you. So let's move on to this week's clitorally segment where I clitorally and literally bust myths and misconceptions, or sometimes I share things that outrage me, or sometimes like this week, I share something that I absolutely clitorally love. So I want to share a birth plan for a home birth that I found on TikTok, and I want you to have a listen to it. And I want to know, what do you think of it? So this is a birth plan for my home birth. For the first stage of labor, I would like free movement, certain drinks and fruits to keep me nourished. I'd like to use meditation and yoga to keep me centered until I'm in active labor. For active labor, I have minimal cervix check. For my pain relief options, I have breathing techniques, massages, aromatherapy, hypnobirthing technique. If needed, I would like alone time with just my partner. I would like physical support and words of encouragement from my team. The atmosphere, I want it to be something like this with candles and crystals and meditation music. When baby is out, I would like immediate skin to skin. No wiping off the vernix. We're doing delayed cord clamping until it stops pulsing and turns white. I would like at least 15 minutes to deliver my placenta naturally and I'm keeping my placenta. Don't consent to these treatments for the baby. We'll be delaying any tests until we get some alone time here. And if you'd like to see my hospital transfer plan, then let me know. Okay. What do you think about that birth plan? Because I want you to know that I love it. I think it's amazing. And this is what I mean when I'm saying like, you're prepared and you've thought through it. Like her birth plan for her home birth is phenomenal. And what I also love, she has a hospital transfer plan. And I didn't even cover that in this episode. And I 100% think that that is worth having and worth thinking through. And I have had patients who've come in and who've had a specific hospital transfer plan. And it says, you know, even though I'm here and I didn't plan on this, I would still like to have certain things that I'm able to have a say in and have control so that this transfer is as seamless as possible. Number one, if my midwife is able to stay with me, I would like that. Number two, et cetera, et cetera. I love that. I just love that because it shows that you're having what I like to think of more as birth plans, birth preferences, birth wishes, meaning that sometimes things change and we don't have control over them. And sometimes you do end up in the hospital. So I love that. What I also love about her home birth plan that I do want to point out is that that entire plan 
can also apply in the hospital. And I've had lots of patients who've delivered with that exact same environment and those wishes and those things. And so what I do want to say is that I get it. Hospital birth can be sterile and scary. And if the reason you're not wanting to birth in the hospital is because you think that's what it's going to be, know that there are ways to make your hospital birth more home-like, meaning minimizing interventions as we should, no matter what, making sure that the people you want are there, making sure that the environment's there. We don't have to have the lights on overhead and have all the things. I love walking into a room when there's the music playing and the lights are dim. Love it when we've got a good aromatherapy candle going. Like those are my favorite rooms and your birth absolutely can be like that. And honestly, I think the birth room should be like that. It shouldn't feel because this is the one part of the hospital that it shouldn't be sterile and it shouldn't feel like a healthcare system. It should feel like you're giving birth in an environment that is as warm and as inviting as, as anywhere you would want a baby to be welcomed into. So clearly, I love this birth plan. And I think this is where it's at. I will say though, the one thing I don't love about this birth plan is it talks about not having vaccines and vaccinations. We're not even going to touch that because again, I support people's choices, but that's also not something that I'm, you know, obviously I have a different thought, but I do want to make that clear when I say I love this birth plan. But I just, I want to point out that there's oftentimes a lot more agreement in these things than disagreement and this false dichotomy of all OBGYNs hate birth plans and hate home births, you know, and then they never like it. Like that's just, that's oftentimes not the case. So let's summarize real quick what we discussed here this week. Number one, home births in the United States are rising, but they're still pretty uncommon. People choose them for different reasons. Risks exist, but they can be minimized by appropriate planning and forethought. And another option, if you're kind of an in-betweeny, think about a birth center. You get to decide where and how you birth, and you get to decide what is most important to you. Know that things are sometimes unpredictable, but there are ways, like in a hospital birth plan, a home birth plan and a transfer plan that you can sometimes still have that feeling of control and being informed and empowered and having the best birth for you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I loved answering this question, which was totally like the quick slipped in afterthought that obviously I made an entire episode about. But if you've got other thoughts or questions, comments about this, let me know. Okay, it's that time where I ask you to rate, review, and follow on your favorite podcast app because we know that's how we get more people talking. So call in at 503-893-2016 and join me online at Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. So let's keep the conversation going, my friends. Call in, leave a question, and know that it's okay to have questions about your body, and we're going to answer them. Yeah.